Welcome to another episode of the Delayed Gratification Podcast, where we talk about taking our time to build wealth and what that takes. We have some amazing guests that that tells us about their journey and the processes. Today is no other than Levon Adelette. What's up? <laughs> Nothing much. How, How you, you doing? I'm doing good. Glad to have you here. Glad to have you in Atlanta. Woo. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It the, took a lot to get here, but I made it. <laughs> the, the temperature went up, so I knew you was here. Woo. I'm happy. Happy to be here. I, I, it's been a little too cold. That's all right. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are? All right. So the simple, easy version of it is... I was a professional athlete. I went to the Olympics in 2012, mm. and I am in real estate by force. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a securities, securities attorney by trade, and I help young high achievers invest in um, real estate passively, but alternative assets in total. So purchasing companies or business, well, purchasing businesses or real estate. Um, and I create funds and syndications um, wow. for sponsors wow. who are looking to raise capital. And I help them do everything from the legal to the exit. Um, I just don't operate. So if you're a good operator, I'm, I'm, I'm a helper. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so you said a lot just then, but I, I, I want to, I want to go back to the Olympics. Like, what did you do at the Olympics? I did track and field. I ran the 100-meter hurdles. Really? Um, yeah. So it's the best event in track and field because, you know, everybody can be fast, but not everybody can run full speed at barriers. Are you still running? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I am very friendly with my snacks, and I <laughs> I, um, I retired in 2017. Okay. Um, Basically, after a 10-year professional career, which I really enjoy, got to see the entire world, but track and field is an unforgiving sport. So it's something that you have to be 100% dedicated to. And the moment that I saw myself like I skipped one workout to go to a meeting and I was like, it's over because it's just not that kind of a sport. It, the difference between the winner and the loser is a hundredth of a second and everything matters. Everything. So as a as a... Growing up, did you know you wanted to be a professional athlete? No, but I knew I was faster than everybody. So, like, on the block, I race everybody. I, they run, they ride their bike, I run. Um, and I did gymnastics, actually, growing up. But gymnastics is probably the only honest sport for children because I was, like, 11 when they were like, mm, you ain't never going to be great. And then, like, you should do something else. Wow, at gymnastics. They yeah. told you that. Mm -hmm. And it, so I started at 18 months old and um when i was 11 i was the exact same height i am now so five seven and a little bit top heavy so they're like mm. <laughs> <laughs> at 11 <laughs> mm -hmm. so uh i started i took that skill set over to like cheerleading for a mm -hmm. little while but gymnastics is really good like a good motor sport motor skill sport so like i was very powerful i already knew that and i had like really good body control. And so I had never run track before because track is sort of like something like either your parents know about it and you run from like five years old or like nobody has no idea right. and you run in high school. So I ran in high school and um, I started with the hundred like everybody else, but I got whooped every single day at practice because really? I had like a really good team. Oh my gosh, it was ridiculous. And I was like, coach, this ain't fun. What can I win? And he's like, 
let's try hurdles. And from that moment forward, I did the hurdles. I did all the jumps, long, triple high, went to college um, to do the heptathlon and all the jumps and hurdles. And when I became a pro, I stuck to hurdles alone and got really good much faster, you know. I went to a HBCU, so they tried to make me do every single event uh, <laughs> while I was in college. So I really, I, I always felt like, man, I'm like, I, I tell kids now, like, I took third place all the way to the Olympics because, like, I just was not getting better because I was doing too many things. Yes. And I did that all through high school and college where, like, at a meet, you'll only say, I, I just look like a wild thornberry. My hair looks crazy. I'm I'm competing from 8 o'clock in the morning to 2 o'clock, like, in everything. You're, you're competing in multiple things. So, mm-hmm. college to the Olympics. How was, tell me about the Olympics, because I, I, I don't think I've met anyone that's been to in the Olympics before. Yeah, so, after college, so I would say that, like, track and field is very much like any other entertainment sport. So, like, you have sponsors and you have meat promoters. So, it's sort of like, just like a concert. Like, they'll book the talent. And so, you get to go around the world to these different meets. And you just, that's the build-up to the World Championships, which is every other year. And then the Olympics every four years. And pretty much in between that year training, I happen to be, like, one of those crazy nerd people who happens to be faster than other people. So... I got an MBA and a law degree while I was competing. Did you? Yeah. So that's just like I pretty much dragged that whole student athlete thing <laughs> out <laughs> by continuing to go to school, even though I didn't have to. But like, yeah, we train six hours a day, go to class four. Go to class. Yeah. What is your MBA in? So my focus in the MBA is in finance. Um, so my undergrad is in finance. I, it took me a while to get there. I had seven major changes in college, but. Because I started off, I wanted to be a doctor my whole life. But that's just because that's what people tell you. When you're a kid and you're good at math and science, they're like, oh, you should be a doctor. I'm running with it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. I got to college. Nobody reminded me. Nobody thought about the idea that I don't like touching people. So uh, (laughs) after shadowing um, the dermatologist, which is what I wanted to be for a summer, I was like, nah, I'm I'm all set. But you changed your major a couple times. Seven times. Seven times for real. That's yeah. a lucky number. And I still I graduated on time though, in four years. Yeah. Oh, you were rolling. <laughs> you were taking some extra classes. Eighteen hours a semester. That's you know what though. A lot of people don't tell their kids they will allow them to fail, as opposed to supporting their change. Because yeah. you do have to figure out what it is that you really like. That's why I I think that. Although I'm probably one of the only people in the world who still believes that, like, you should go to college. No, I'm one of them. Um, But I don't think that you need to have your life figured out by 17 when you go there and, like, have, like, a full picture of what you're going to do. Literally, I had a professor that told me, because I was in the business school already, um, and the business law class, he's like, you should go to law school. Where'd you go? Hampton to undergrad. Okay. And, um... He's like, you should go to law school. And I'm like, I don't want to be no lawyer. I don't want to go to law school. And he's like, I'm telling you, I didn't have, like, I, I teach this class, like, law school, which is Socratic method, and you don't need a curve. You should go to law school. And I absolutely loved law school. It was definitely, like, for my brain type, which is, like, word math. I loved it. I thought it was great. So you went to law school while you were still running. Yeah, so after my first year of law school, I went to the Olympics, so 2012. Wow. Yeah. So you were in school at the Olympics. Yes. 
How does that work? So I, I just I so I am really good at problem solving. So one of the problems that you have to solve when you're in school is how to maximize your absences. <laughs> <laughs> because you'll fail the class if you mm. have more than six absences. So you have certain classes on Monday, was Friday, Tuesday, Thursday. So I just, I figured that whole whole thing out. So I, went, I was going to Europe like every other weekend to compete and come back because that's the only way to make money. So just trying to like figure all of that out is how I did it. But it, it's a balance. Like I'm a, I'm the kind of person who needs a lot to do, or I'm probably going to like take a nap and like not do anything. So like the year that I, I, I took the bar in 2015, it was my best ranked year in the world. I was ranked number six in the world. The most. And, I, and, I, and I passed the bar first time. Did you? Yeah. First time. Yeah. That's rare. A lot of people are stressed out so bad when they're taking that bar exam. Yes. <laughs> so did you, what did you focus on in law school? Cause I know, with your master's was finance, your undergrad mm -hmm. was finance. What about law school? So when I first got there, I was very much like, oh, I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer per se, but I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, a lot of Fortune 100 CEOs go to law school. Maybe I'll find something in business that I like. So I really, my main focus was um, bankruptcy and then securities, which is what I practice now. Um, and that's, you know, <laughs> securities is the packaging of the sale of your um, debt or equity to someone who doesn't participate and they want to profit. So, so make that a little bit more simple though for me. <laughs> like that, woo! I heard that. I heard a lot. So, securities. Give me like an example. What is? So, um, a stock that is on a on the Nasdaq mm -hmm. that you can buy that is a security, okay. but. Because it's on a public market, most people understand that and they buy it and sell it all the yes. time. But what I focus on is private placements. So a private company is raising money and it's either debt or equity and you can break it into little pieces. So instead of saying I need a million dollars to a person who you know don't have a million dollars, you could say, hey, I'm raising a million dollars, but I'll take 10000 and I'm selling, I'm selling small portions of it. And it makes it digestible for most people that you can talk that you talk to, and a better conversation. Because most of the time, when you just go out and say I'm, I'm raising, I, I need a million dollars for this business, most people are going to be like, good luck. <laughs> Instead of being like, yeah, you know, I'm raising a million dollars. You can invest with us for twenty five thousand. This is what the returns are going to be, and this is how long we're going to have the money, and this is what the plan is, and get them excited to be a part of the journey without having to do any work. Like, that's the best job. Give your job. Give your money a job. Wow, I like that. So, with your law degree, with your specialty, you help folks raise money. Basically, what you're saying. Yes. You good at it. Yes. What does that look like? I come to you today. I want to I wanna start an airplane business. Okay. That's it. That's all I know. <laughs> I don't know anything else. So what happens from there? So if you were a typical attorney, you would just write up documents for them and you would tell them good luck on your airplane venture. I personally can't do that, so I don't let people... I have more of like a full service consulting firm. So I'm going to say, all right, so tell me about the business, how long you've done it, who's on your team, how can we package this to make this something that's attractive for investors? And then like, what is the time horizon for your exit? So I'm going to say, I don't know. I woke up this morning, I slept at Holiday Inn, I 
feel real educated, and I just know I want an airplane business. So it's, it's new to me and my family. Mm-hmm. So you can help me start? I probably could, okay. but I probably wouldn't take you. So okay. that is a little bit farther outside of what my specialty <laughs> is. My specialty is you do something good already, okay. and I can help you do it great okay. and like make more money and make it bigger. The starting from scratch thing is a little harder because you're getting people to buy into you, mm-hmm. which is it's still a piece of it. People have to buy into you. They have to know, like, and trust you. But as an executor of the thing that you already know how to do is a way easier sell gotcha. than the, like, I, I think I want to do, I want to do airplanes. And you're like, are you an engineer? You're like, nah. Are you, um, flown a plane? Right? No. Nah. <laughs> so that's a little too far-fetched, okay. at least for me. But, like, people raise money like that all the time. But, like, my approach to it is. There is an unlimited amount of capital in the world. Plenty of people make money. They have it sitting somewhere in a bank. It's not making any money. Um, So there are lots of people who need to give their money jobs, but they want to do it in a way where the risk matches the reward. And so in order for that to happen, especially because they're giving it to you for some time period where it's illiquid, so they can't just get it back at any moment, you want it to be really focused on like, okay, I already know you can do this really well. Now, if I was able to give you this much more money, could you do this better? Mm. And then focus on how that return looks for your investors and what that timeline looks like. And I'm able to like create an entire plan around it and take it out and pitch it. I actually have a newsletter where I do, I, I put offers in it for, accredited investors and um an accredited investor someone who has made two hundred thousand dollars for the last two years or they have a million dollars in net worth um i have both either okay um and i i have a list of ten thousand of them so and that's not very many because there are actually 15 million in america um wow yeah so there's a lot of money there's a lot of abundance in the world it's just about Finding the people who believe in you, your strategy, and your ability to execute what you're trying to do. So let me, I'm going to back up some. So I come to you, I'm really good at something. But that's the part that starts to scare most people. How do I go from A to B, and it's going to be capital. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to raise capital. So I got the idea. I got all my records of where I'm really good at it. Mm-hmm. What do you do from there? So we put together a package. And we get you in front of the right people. Most people think that there's like some magical secret to raising capital. And it's really just a numbers game. Just like if you are a wholesaler, you know how many people you have to get on the phone to get a yes. Yes. It's the exact same thing. But you but most people get discouraged because they talk to their family, their friends and people who don't necessarily get it. Who all told us no from the start. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's not your audience. There are plenty of people who do this on a normal basis where they are allocating capital because they just want to return on the money. They don't want it to sit somewhere, not making any money, and they may like the cause. Like a lot of what I'm involved with has impact. So, you know, affordable housing, workforce housing, bringing um, grocery to food deserts, that kind of stuff. And it 
strikes a nerve with a lot of people who completely get it. And they're like, I want to be involved with this. I want to help you further this cause and make a return. This is awesome. But you know, what happens is, though, we Google mm-hmm. how to raise capital. Yes. Right. And it talks about it starts to go into all this special stuff. So it makes you stop. Yeah. Do you simplify it enough to where when I'm talking to you, I want to go to now let's go. I'm talking to you. I did my initial consultation. Now I want to go to B. I'm ready to get started. Yes. Do you make it simple enough for that? So that's a good question. I wonder if I do or not. (laughs) For the most part, I just say, all right, I'm going to help you create a model. So the biggest issue I think most people have is they've not really thought through what they're going to do with the money and how it's going to make a return for themselves and for others. So once we create that model, it's easier to say like, hey, I'm going to have your money for five years. You're going to most likely make a 20% return over the court an IRR, which is internal rate of return. That's annually. So now I've doubled your money in, in five years. Not very, not very many people who already invest will have a problem with that. Gotcha. The issue that I think that most people run into blocks is they don't talk to people who invest. They talk to people who have money, but they don't talk to people who invest. And so I am a low-hanging fruit person. I can, I, and, and my entire goal around 2023 is to bring more people who look like me to the table, to the passive side of the cap table, to be making money because I've made enough rich people more money. Mm. But that comes with an educational push, right? Like I have to take them through the steps of what it looks like, how to like spot the difference between an opportunity and a grifter and all that kind of stuff. But the biggest thing is like, they're not my first go-to. My first go-to is somebody who I know allocates money Every year already a few million dollars and they completely already understand the process. What does that person know when you said that's your kind of first go to? Mm -hmm. What do they look for? Like what is like the norm? Is it a certain minimum percentage? What's kind of what's a good percentage return per year? I posted this the other day and I I got a lot of pushback. The percentage return per year is based on the risk that they're taking. So. If it's development and we're just at paper lots, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to need a much bigger return than if you're flipping a house that's down the street. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, or if you are um, buying a company that's already cash flowing, yes. there the difference in the return is sort of based it is completely based on the risk and the amount of time that my money will be locked up with you. Do I have an option to get some back? Am I getting um, some sort of dividend every month or every quarter, or every year? Or are you just saying I'm going to pay you in 10? And um, so that's also why venture capital, which is the sexiest thing right now. Yeah. Everybody is when they invest in venture, they're looking for, thousand X returns because it's the highest risk profile. But those are things where people that's probably not real estate for the most part, like a piece of dirt. No, you just cause we can't give back. You can only give back so much on a, on a deal. Exactly. But you, but see, most people are selling real estate improperly. Real mm, estate, we go. real estate sell 
is on the tax benefits because from just a pure return standpoint, real estate can be beat by a lot of stuff. Correct. But because the IRS loves real estate, you are going to get the most tax benefit from having real estate or something else that has a tax credit. And so I go to people who have really, really high tax liabilities and say, hey, if you owed 400000 and I could wipe that away for you because you invested in this deal, would that be appealing to you? Now you're getting basically returns on free money because you're going to pay it to the government anyway. So you understand taxes too. So the nuance about giving anybody financial advice is that you need to understand the implications of what it's going to do to them from a tax standpoint, from a cash flow and like budgeting standpoint, because most people are just like, yeah, you know, I, I understand financial literacy and I should be doing things, but I'm like, yeah, but like if you already have a few hundred million dollars, like not a hundred million, but let's say you have a few million dollars mm-hmm. and you make income, you probably shouldn't flip houses. But that's just because it's short term gains and it's going to get eaten up in, in taxes. Right. So there are those sorts of things that you sort of on the go, you get deeper into. I actually enjoy tax law because it's rules and I like rules. Give me a box. I'm going to figure out how to fit everything in the box. <laughs> That's why I like securities law. Yes. yes. The other the other thing I focused on in law school was land use, which mm-hmm. I think is like the one underused thing of that most real estate investors don't use enough in that that's um title arbitrage. So, um not title arbitrage, the zoning arbitrage. Right. So all land use is is I assembled a couple pieces that used to be houses and I decided that I have, like the city says, if you have this much, you can go before the board and ask for the zoning to be changed. Go from residential to multifamily. That's uh, right. Multifamily to commercial, industrial. Exactly. Okay. So the land that my great-grandparents bought in the 20s, right, um, and they knocked the house down in the 80s, and we've just had this raw land forever, we assembled a couple more parcels to it, got the zoning changed to commercial, got the density upped so that because we have, we're going to do workforce housing. And so now we're going to build 108 units on it. So like. What is workforce housing? I'm sorry. I just, okay. I want to make sure I understand what workforce housing okay, is. Okay. So workforce housing is housing that is priced for people who are nurses, teachers, police officers, firefighters, so they can live in the communities that they work in. Probably that make below $50,000 a year. They make, they make below what market rate costs. Okay. So most of them are priced into moving out of town mm-hmm. of where they actually work. And so workforce housing is built to allow you a subsidy. Most like most of the time it's, it's density boosts mm-hmm. in what you're building so that you can afford to allow some people to pay a little less. So how does that work, though? Do you get some kind of incentive from the government or the city or the county so that you can? Because, like, right now, over the past two years, the price of material has been crazy. Labor, it's the same labor, but they said, hey, since the price of material went up, we got to go up. Yeah. Price of land went up. So how does that work? How can you make that work without governmental assistance? So, yeah. 
that most people do it with some sort of like private public partnership. Okay. So they're going to the city, they're going to the county, they're going to the state and looking for the resources because almost every place has an affordability issue. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really matter if you're in the city, out of the city, jobs are not keeping up with the pace of the cost of real estate. And so. So as an investor in a project like that, would I expect low returns or high returns? And when I say low, maybe under 8%. High. High. Yeah. So okay. that particular project is going to cost about $36 million to build. Um, including 100 units? 108 units. Eight, okay. um, but on refinance, it should be worth around 54 So we'll... At stabilization, we should be able to get people back very close to almost two X in three years. So that's like huge. That's really that's really huge. Yeah, but a part of that is using subsidies from the government, okay. and because um, HUD has some subsidies as well. There's a lot that can be done with just knowing a little bit, and so like. I'm a super nerd. So like when I find out something, I'm super like dived in and like, I have to go down the rabbit hole to figure out all the nuances to it. And then most of the time it'll talk me out of doing things, but like sometimes it'll be like, Oh, that's the one that's how you're going to make it all work. And so I think that people don't like affordable housing or workforce housing and things like that because they, they've associated with like poverty Poor and people. terrible. We don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Most people don't understand it. How much land would the 108 units sit on? Um, a little under two acres. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's super, it's dense. How many stories is that going to be? It is going to be 12. 12. Mm -hmm. In the retail or just straight? It's going to have, it has three um, retail at the bottom. So, you know, I'm like, like really feeling I want to see it. So <laughs> when, when is groundbreaking? <laughs> Um, most likely. So we are about halfway done with the raise. So we were raising 12 million in equity okay. and, um, we've got about 6 million committed already and we can break ground with that, but, um, also it's been kind of cold. So we're sort of pushing it out. Is a that project bit. where, what city? Um, Miami. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Oh, we really... Into the high real estate. <laughs> yeah. That, that's why it's so high for 108 units. <laughs> yeah, it is. So what kind of average rents will you be getting since it's the workforce? Yeah. So the so basically workforce in this particular um, building is just a set aside. So we have 10% of the units that are set aside and they'll be for around 1800 the rest will be market rent, and they're between twenty two and twenty eight hundred. It's not bad though. Uh, I mean, I'm just I saying mean, it's it's not brickle either. So we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you over there on that side of Miami, right? We on the side of Miami. Don't nobody talk about. But that's gonna be that'll start more growth though, wouldn't it? I mean, yes. a new building, twelve stories, and, and there and there's a hospital being built over there. There's a there's a lot of other things going on Tell around you. it. Which is sort of everybody's goal. You want to be in the path of progress. Yes. You don't. Ne you don't necessarily want to build where the things are already happening because then it's going to be super smack you over the head expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a guy called us one day. He was like, "Yeah, I want ten million for this plot of land." We was like, 10 million? What? 
can you put on it? But it was in Miami. Yeah. We figured out where it was. It was on a really good strip next to a hotel, and, and you had the rights to build a hotel on it, and that's why he was. He is selling to a market of people who don't want to make, don't care about making returns. Correct. And there's some people out there like that. Yeah. So if you're bringing a, a lot of people who invest in South Florida specifically are bringing money from other countries. And so if you're just trying to get the money out and you might get a visa in the, in the, in the process, as long as, as long as I don't lose money, I'm cool. I got my money out. I got my money out. To a good place. Like, yeah. Cause oh. it could be unstable and I might lose it all. in if I leave it in the country that I'm in, so there's a lot of that. And so, when I said earlier, I, um, I, I'm in real estate by force is because my dad is a developer and I used to have to sit in his office and send FedEx and faxes, uh, <laughs> when I was a child. So do you think, did you benefit from that though? Any kind of way? What was the benefit? Oh, the benefit is that I am a complete sponge about a lot of things. Like I know I, I gained a lot of knowledge in the situation. I still didn't want to do it, but it, it had a lot of value, um, especially because my dad thinks that he's the brain and that I'm pinky. So he's always like, yeah, yeah, you should go get this license. You need to go there. Like that's so, know dad's always know best. <laughs> that's what, that's what he said. And he, and he always loves when I come back a couple years later, like, yeah, dad, that was right. I'm, I'm glad you know, you know what's crazy. I remember, um, I've been at it 28 years and my dad made everybody, all the siblings, everybody go get a real estate license. Yeah. And some of us kept it. Some of us didn't. But then I can remember conversations that we would have, and this is, you know, 29 years ago. And when I got started, I was like, he don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and then some days when I'm riding now, like 20-something years later, I'm like, God, he was right. Listen, I, I, I have come to the conclusion at this point that – Sometimes people see things in you that you can't see in yourself mm -hmm. yet. So you just have to like sit and listen, but also like pay attention to things that have worked in the past because you don't have to like my, my best new saying is you don't get bonus points for doing things the hard way. Mm. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> yes. I remember my dad, this was, was 2001 or two. I was building probably the first time I was building a house and not renovating a house. Mm -hmm. He was like, don't build a big house. Build small houses. I'm like, man, whatever, man. Nobody <laughs> building the small houses. Now look at what. Yeah. Yeah. Look at all the plots of land in Atlanta, city of Atlanta for me, mm -hmm. that we could have picked up for 10, 15 grand that are now 150 grand. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. inside of Atlanta, inside of the perimeter, <sighs> Prior to like ninety six through two thousand, it was on sale. Nobody wanted. I mean, not that nobody wanted to be here. It's always been a great city. But after the the ninety six Olympics, we exploded. That actually was my first uh, purview into the idea of going to the Olympics. Not that I thought that I was going to go at the time. I was like ten, uh, but I was an unaccompanied minor who traveled alone. So I like had a little tag on my neck, and the people have to walk you through the airport, and. They happened to also have to walk Stevie Wonder through the airport. He was doing the opening ceremony for the Olympics. And that's when I, like, first found out what it was. So, that, <laughs> so like, and Alan Johnson won the 110 hurdles, and he's from Virginia. So, you know, I was like. You was excited. What? Right into it. What? Back to this capital raising. Mm -hmm. You know it. The finances, the taxes, the legal side. So you a triple threat. 
Yes. All right. So when I come to you, I just want to make sure I'm clear. Because most of us, our weakness is one, organization, but two, raising the capital. Yes. I'm not organized. I got the social proof. I got the receipts. But when I come to you, will you help us like really organize? Let's say I'm super great. I mean, I am. But let's say I'm super great at mm-hmm. this thing. Yes. All right. Do you really help us, one, raise the capital, organize, make sure the legal documents? So all I got to do is bring me and. All you have to do is the thing. The thing that I do. Yes. So you do the thing okay. and I'm going to handle everything else. I build the team for you. I handle legal compliance, investor relations, capital raising, um, fund administration, everything. Um, wow. Make sure that you are solid and that all your I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Are you my attorney or are we partners? Partners. So the company that does this is uh, Premier Deal Partners. Okay. And all we look for are great operators and we become their partner um, in in a managing entity. And we share in the risk and reward of the of the deal. So it has a lot of faith in it, but it's it. So I only work with eight people a year. Um, well, groups a year and, um, it's super selective because I have to put a lot of effort into like building the teams and making sure it works. And it's partially like a marriage because most of these deals will last between three and 10 years. How do you determine that? Are these all real estate deals or some of them other business type deals? Um, I'd say I'm, I'm 80, 20 real estate and that's like just by comfort. And, and it's not all real estate specifically. So like we also, we, I am a partner with a, f- a fund that does non-performing notes, which I think is like the best place to be right now to if, especially if you love real estate, because you'll probably get into some really good deals uh, at a low basis. Um, but so either the notes or real estate, like that's the, the heavier side. And the other side is rolling up companies, especially legacy companies or solopreneurs. Um, legacy really companies like are companies like second generation or something like that. Yeah, not even so like let's say you 28 years and you run a brokerage yes and you work by yourself but you got a couple agents i would buy that got you yeah so and roll that up into a company that can be big big enough to resale um so i work with a couple of companies that are rolling up e-com stores one is rolling up youtube channels okay um Media is huge. So media is huge. Yeah, but eighty twenty real estate. Yeah. So you know I'm a real estate. You know I'm I'm all real estate. I mean I've dibbled and dabbled and, but I have same thing. Twenty twenty three. It is about growing, understanding how to raise more capital, partnering with folks like you to do bigger deals, having more doors. So as an operator, what is that called? That part is it a partnership? Is it a syndication? What is that? Because I hear syndication so much. What is a syndication and what's the difference between a syndication and what you do? So there is no difference. So a syndication in general terms is the raising of capital for a specific known deal. One One specific known deal. Okay. So whether that is, it could be one business. It could be, but like most people don't look at real estate like a business, but it really is buying a business. And so, that one apartment complex is can be a syndication. It just means that you're raising money from multiple people using securities exemption to do so, um, which could either be 
crowdfunding, which most people have heard a little bit about, mm-hmm. but they don't completely understand. Because uh, you can raise up to $5 million a year from anybody, but through a platform. And then, or a regulation D raise, which there are two different types. One you can advertise and one you cannot. Right. So there are a little bit of nuances to it. But the overarching thing is that you are getting small chunks of money from people who will not be involved in the business mm. and will not make decisions. So I think a lot of people steer away. Well, there are a few reasons, but there are a lot of people steer away from raising capital because they think that they're going to have to answer to someone. And the truth is, is that you don't really want to take money. You have to date the people that you're going to yes. take money from, but you want to take money from people you want to have them be partners and understand that you are the boss. This is your show. You know what's going on more than them. You don't be a good doctor and come over here and try and tell me how to run the real estate thing. That's not good. But, you know, you keep them involved and you keep, you know, you have an open line of communication with them, but they're not going to, they're not going to be trying to tell you how to run the business. So when you put together, well, you already have everything in place. So yeah. when an operator or somebody that's good at what they do come to you, mm-hmm. you basically take, what they have and make it pretty mm-hmm. and go get the money. Yes. And all they got to do is keep operating. That's right. Wow. You made it sound easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, cause I I've looked at, honestly, I've been online and, and I'm grateful that we met back in June down mm-hmm. at the conference. Um, but I've been online looking at different conferences, watching YouTube, which, you know, we're always going to do. But it always still seems so difficult because when you talk to somebody else, you're really simplifying this. When you talk to other people or attorneys, they act like attorneys. Of course, but they've never raised money. And that's the problem. Of course. Everything in every business is like that. There is a bunch of siloed things that make it all work, and nobody does the other thing. That's That's why real estate agents don't know nothing about mortgages. Why mortgage people don't know what real estate agents really do or what title companies do. Yes. Why builders don't know what's going on on the title side. Like it's so many. Everybody has a little thing. And I think that my superpower has been that like I'm sort of I'm sort of a nerd. And then like I'm I number one have a really good foundation of people around me. So like. My dad's a developer. My cousin's a, a a builder. We own a mortgage company. My grandfather owns Orange Groves. Like, and he's been in a bunch of businesses. So it's sort of like having a lot of conversations. And then you like add it, add it, add it. And you're like, okay, you go to law school because you need to get this little piece so you can understand the nuances of the race. So that's real generational wealth, though. I just heard you say your grandfather was doing something and, and did a few things. But yeah. you saw it, heard it, felt yeah. it, smelt it, the whole thing. Yeah. Your dad does something. And then they guided you to doing something else that can help back up three generations. Yes. And so it's so funny because my father is like the hardest person to deal with. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I, I'm pretty much the only person who like can deal with him day to day. So like I'm the buffer that speaks to everybody else. Yes. And um, so my grandfather always calls and he says, so how y'all getting along? And I'm like, <laughs> he knows day his by son. Day, day by exactly. Um, <laughs> day by day. But, over time, the best part about being in a generational business or even just being around each other is learning to gain respect for the other's opinion. Mm. Because I think we all lose that at some point where you're just like, my dad don't know nothing. Or like, 
my kids don't know nothing because Correct. they haven't experienced things in the way that you have. And everybody has a little, like I tell, I get advice from like people that most people would never get advice from because everybody can have a valuable input, even if everything about them is not the most desirable thing. Like you don't have to be aspirational to have a valuable gem or a valuable input. And be like, hmm. I mean, and that's where a lot of people mess up right now. They only want to listen to the person that has a million followers. Yeah. And then when they realize that person's great, yeah. no knock on them, but I'm probably not going to get a million followers. Yeah. Cause and you don't need a million. Followers. I don't need a million followers. And like having a million followers, just sounds like a nightmare. Um, you know, I've been on social media forever and people know me for different things. You know, I was on the show, The Amazing Race and whatever. And that has a lot of followers, which I had never even seen the show before I was on the show. So what, let me, let me, cause I don't want to go past that. <laughs> so, so you were on for one season? Yes. One season. What was that like? It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Why? Because I am very A type, very controlling, very, I, I run my day and my time and all of that. The entire show is around putting pressure and chaos in your life. So, like, we'll just be sitting in the airport and they're like, all right, we about to go. And then here's the clue and it's like a mile away. And, like, all of these things are <laughs> happening. And you're around a bunch of people who you don't know, but you happen to be with your one friend. And That was your real friend. Yeah. So I I did. My partner was Kelly Wells. and Well, Kelly Wells Brinkley. And she and I were high school rivals, college teammates. We trained for the Olympics together. And I lived with her um, while she was going through postpartum because her husband played um, in the NFL. And it was she had the baby right during um, How training How did y'all get on the show? So at the time, I owned a, a PR firm with my other cousin. And, um, and we had a bunch of... Like we had contracts with Viacom to do like Love and Hip Hop and um, what's the other one? Uh, Black was, Ink Crew okay. and all that. And so uh, they call like I got a call about if I would be interested in doing Survivor. And I'm like, woo, child, I'm not no Survivor. I ain't been outside. I'm, Survivor rough. I, <laughs> I don't know how to cook nothing outside if it ain't no grill. Like, I don't have no, none of these skills. And they're like, oh, but we think you'd be, like, really good for the Amazing Race. And I pitched to do it with somebody else, and they were like, nah, that's not interesting. And I thought about her. And we make a perfect team because we're very similar, express different, mm. which is, like, most people don't realize that you can really be friends with people who are nothing like you, but, you know, but for mutual respect. So, like, she's over the top, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, every, everything. And I'm just like, all right, just chill. Well, it'll be fine. <laughs> so you got on the show. Yeah. And how long was it? Like, how many weeks, episodes? <sighs> so you shoot over a six-week period. Um, and during that time, you don't have any contact with the outside world. So no phones, no internet, no nothing. What do you mean? Nothing. They take it all. You, we don't have no money, nothing. They take it. And oh, so wow. this is different. Yeah. So you're living in your own amazing race bubble. You're really racing. You're just with your partner and your, you know, film crew and all that. But like the part about it that was hardest for me was the first four days you don't bathe. You don't, you don't. You don't take a bath? <laughs> no. We we ran. We swam. We went in a cave. We was doing all kind of that's, disgusting that's kinda stuff. That's kind of rough. It was rough. <laughs> you talking about 11 groups of two. 
22 stank people in a small place is got to be the hardest. Oh, y'all still stayed in one place? So we would like sleep in the airport in the room. We slept in a cave in a room together, like in sleeping bags side by side. And, and then, you know, I ain't going to say that it's real WPS, but it really is WPS for you to just be touching a strange cave dog in our, in our sleeping space. So, you know, I got the you. few of us who were not, uh, we were like, <laughs> Just <laughs> from over here. <laughs> so four days, no bath. Yeah. What did y'all eat? Um, we had like they give you enough money on every leg, so like only what they want you to have though. So like it might be thirty dollars, and then some people went and ate good. You gotta have some Popeyes. Yeah, <laughs> we gonna share a three piece. We gotta make this money last. You don't know if you gotta take a cab or something. So wow. It, it it's a very much a great adventure to go around the world and do it with your best friend and would you do it again uh-uh Mm-mm. they asked me and um i said i said no yeah because you literally were not able to talk to anybody like you couldn't call dad and say hey dad i'm okay no they have somebody like production calls your family and says you're still alive that's it no i need proof of life <laughs> <laughs> that ain't working for me i need to talk to my daughter like and so and they've all signed like so your entire family has to sign like an nda they can't tell anybody you're on the show that you're filming you got paid to be on the show or yeah. so okay so you did get paid yeah yeah okay and it, did it help with anything else that you were doing like your, your business i feel like if i was selling something it might have, but like at the time, I mean, I have a mortgage company, so I guess I could have said that, but like in general, I don't sell a consumer product. So like I'm a security's attorney and I help people raise money to the 17 million people who just watch it every day. Like that's not, and, it doesn't connect. Yeah. They don't, don't work from, and we don't really understand that if I'm watching it and they say she's a security term, just like, she's just really smart. <laughs> Who cares? I mean, that's really what people go. When you say securities attorney, I've really got to find another word because other people introduce me as an SEC attorney, and I'm like, that's I really can't. like, oh man, you really like <laughs> e- either I'm gonna feel like you like the police attorney, <laughs> or you like the SEC, Georgia, Alabama, you know, Florida, oh, type the, attorney, the, uh, the, the Southeastern <laughs> Conference, you know what I mean? That's like, so, funny. so one of those, yeah. So let's let's. So you've been on. So I gotta find a new word because I feel like. You know when you're talking to people and you and you watch them eyes glaze and you're like, mm, I lost them. Don't I think you should say I'm a get money attorney. Hmm. I'm a money attorney. I am. Like literally, I, make I it real simple. Both, I can get you both sides of the capital stack. That's my whole thing. Debt and equity. What so you, want? you can get me, man. You so you can get me debt through your mortgage company. Mm-hmm. What kind of debt though? Like a hundred grand. No. Like up so, to what? Probably fifty million easily, but like uh, anything bigger than that, I have a couple partners that I can like tap into, who go to bigger funds and stuff like that. But like our average deal size is somewhere around five million, uh, but we can go as low as seventy five thousand. So like we we do rental houses in St. Louis all the time, Baltimore, that kind of stuff. But like, can you go fifty thousand? No, and I've been telling people I've told six or seven different people who have groups and all that they need to raise a fund so they can lend to their own people because there's nobody lending in the 20 to 75 range because it doesn't make any sense to do it if you're if from a points perspective it doesn't make any sense to do it unless you're focused on it and you have a built-in audience like i'm not going to go out and advertise to people who want to do fifty thousand dollar houses but like 
So you know that's one of the reasons why we're working together in 2023, right? Yeah. That's really frustrating because, one, getting a traditional mortgage under 75000 is tough, so the poor stay poor. In places where you can buy a house, like you got tenants that pay seven fifty on average. Yeah. But they can buy a house for 35000 and put ten in it. Yeah. But there's no way for them to buy it unless they save up cash, and that's not going to happen. Right. Right? Then you got places like you say, St. Louis, Detroit, Cleveland, I any mean, places where you can be all in in a duplex under 80000 maybe 90000 yeah. but the mortgage is going to be 65000 Right. Nobody's going to finance it. That's right. That's I mean, why we got creative ways to do it, but still, we need somebody that you can go to and do it on a regular basis. That's why you got to create your own funding and, 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 and service a community that you are sure knows what they're doing. Like that, that That's the sort of nuance to it, but because it's a business purpose loan, like I wouldn't do it for people to live in the houses per se. Correct. Maybe you could do it as like seller financing when you resell it to somebody, but like if you do it only for business purpose, there's no like maximum amount of points you can charge. So, so, so let's, let's, you can let's, do a minimum. Can we talk through this one? Yeah. So I come to you, me, and this is me talking to you. Mm-hmm. I can get a hundred investors right now that can find a great deal that cash flows under a hundred thousand dollars. Right. They need to buy it at 40 and put 50 in it. Okay. Right now it's truly not a place to go to get that loan. Right. What, what do you tell me? Come on, let's walk through the process. So we're going to partner on it. Or are you going to just make me start my own fund? Are you going to operate it? See everybody, I tell people to do this and they want me to operate it and raise no, the I'm money. A, I'm going to operate it. You right, raise cool. the money. All right. Okay. So this is what you're going to do. Here we go. Now, now this. All right. So, and if you say you got a hundred people, so I typically work backwards. So okay. if you can, how many loans can you service per month? Like, okay, let's say. Let's say we do 10 a month. We do 10 a month and mm-hmm. 10 is a, is a hundred thousand is the, is no, we're going to say they a 50,000 or 70. Let's 50, go 75,000. All right, bet. 75,000, that's 750,000. Mm-hmm. All right. You only need to raise like $2 million. Why? Because how are we going to turn those loans? So you're going to package them and you're going to sell all 10 of those to another investor. That's the part where a lot of people don't want to touch it though, right? Yeah, but see, you're not, you're going to sell it to, we're going to sell it within our own network. So people who are just looking for the income, the installments, because these are not a paper loans, so they're not going to be 4%. They're going to be like 8% loans or whatever. Make it 8% a month on the money. Most people are okay with that. 8% a year. 8% a year. Oh, oh. I said a month. Jesus, yeah. we're going <laughs> to really get paid. Sharks. Yeah. Um, but no, you, you're going to charge a minimum fee um, So would we be a fund or would we be a fund that's a private hard money lender? Yeah. We would be a fund. And I don't want it to be called a hard money lender. I feel like that's overplayed. It's just a fund that does Lending. small loans for business purpose. How long would it take for us to get that up and running? 12 days. From what? Start to finish? Yeah. But then we got to go out and get the capital. $2 so million? Dollars? I could do that. So I I did this last year. Two, no, 2020. 21. Wait, when will we close? Close. 21. We were never closed here. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, so I was in New York and it was closed. Like I was outside. Yeah, I was scared. It was different. 
And I was having a conversation with one of my friends and he typically raises um, money by um, crowdfunding. So he raises about $5 million a year uh, from his own community, though. So they're putting in 25 to $75 and they do development in Philly. So we were having a conversation about it. And he's like, you think you got the juice. I want to see what you could do. Can you can you raise a million dollars within your network right now uh, to do loans? And I said, that's actually something I'm I'm really passionate about. I want to I want to help builders get I want to bring more builders in. Mm -hmm. And so my my stipulation for these loans will be I will fund 100 percent of the cost of construction but you have to bring an apprentice and teach him everything about the process. From, from the builder. Mm-hmm. So you're going to give me 100% mm-hmm. of purchase and construction. Mm-hmm. But I need to bring in somebody from wherever that's going to learn this business. Yes. That's, that's my one deal. stipulation. So I said, I sent out a text message to 25 people. I said, I'm taking $100,000 from the first 10 people that reply yeah. that they're in. I got 17 replies in 10 minutes. And I got wires from 12. 1.2, 10 minutes, hour. Whatever. Yeah. That's all right. And then I did the legal work after. You made, you made it come together the right way. Yeah. So basically, I am a person who completely believes that you need to, you got to sort of slow walk into a race. So you want to get soft commitments in advance of like mm-hmm. doing a lot of legal work. So that you know that you're on the right, you're going in the right direction of what the audience you already have. Obviously, you can go out and do like cold audience, but that like takes longer. Okay. That's why why you'll see people raising for like three years and things like that is because they went in cold and wanted a lot. So it's just not my strategy. But you know, I so we can do this twelve days. Yeah, between what we got going on, we can start lending. A partnering with properties under seventy five thousand. Yes, that's easy. We should just start today. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm glad we're there. So that is, I come to you. I got my idea. We know we want stuff under seventy five thousand. You can go out there and raise the money and put the paperwork together. I just got to operate. That's right. That's it. So you're looking for great operators yes. to fit your model. Yes. Okay. Because I realize that I don't love anything. Okay. I love being a puzzle person. I'm a puzzle person. Don't give me nothing blank. Uh, like we bought apartments in 2017. Because at the time I was like, I want to be the largest operator of apartments in America. What happened? In the South. I want to have 30,000 units. Okay. We had like six Monday meetings. Like, oh, you know, turnover and, you know, make readies and all that. I'm like, oh, child, I don't want to do this every Monday. And <laughs> this is just, like, not my thing. Um, but I am okay at, like, finding deals. But there are people who are much better at mm-hmm. it. I am decent at negotiating, but there are people who are better yes. at it. I am really good at creating models, underwriting, and going out. And delivering that and connecting that with people who have capital. So that's your superpower. That's my superpower. Gotcha. And so I'm like, I can get the 30000 by partnering with other people. I don't need. I like that, though. Yeah. So so you basically take what we say. I come to you, take what I say. 
you translate it so that the people that have the capital understand what I'm saying. Yes. You stay in the middle. Yes. You just made it really easy. Even though 2023, I'm telling you, I'm I'm going, I'm doing a 50 city tour because last 50, 50 cities it's because one a week. last year I'm probably going to just try to do them like back to back. I don't want to like, I don't want to <laughs> drag it out like that. I got a little baby, but last year, year before last on average, Black investors in anything that I did was two percent. I have to get that up. I you think mean, that's ridiculous. To me, to into your funds. Yes. But isn't that like the norm? When you start talking about like commercial real estate, anything commercial, it's really they said one percent still. We're still under two percent as yeah. investors, even as owners and investors across the world. Yes, but that's just because we're not being intentional about making sure that we're included. Because when we're talking, what we're talking about is private raises and so private raises is is a who you know thing okay and so if you don't bank with ubs who's raising a hundred million dollars for blackstone or something like that and you have a hundred million dollars in the account for them to pick and choose you then you're only exposed to whoever you know is raising money and so i mean i go to a lot of conferences and stuff like that so i know a lot of people raising money and i'm like that's why I will start this podcast this year, um, just bringing together people who are giving access to people who are raising capital, but also giving access to opportunities to people who have capital. When you starting the podcast? When you help me. I got you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a newsletter that does that already. But like newsletters are not as connectable. You know how few people read my emails. No, nobody and they actually opens open emails. <laughs> I mean, most people don't even open it. You got about a sixty percent, maybe. If you're really good, maybe seventy percent of the people open them. I feel like I'm not really good, but I'm like nice to people, so like they'll open my emails and just be like, okay. So why don't you send it out in a video? Why don't you just say it and then send out the email with you talking? I'm gonna do that too. But I really feel like the the real medium to get to yes. people is short form video I and just having conversations around why there's value in being a passive investor. Most yeah. people don't even realize they can be, um, should be, or that it's not something their financial advisor is doing for you them. You know, one of the challenges is everybody want everybody says that eight to ten percent is not enough return as a passive investor. They want 75%. Some dudes say he do 8% a month passively. I'm like, Jesus. He because he doesn't do it passively. He's confused. Oh. People are confusing what you can make actively in a business with what you can make passively as an investor. That's still a lot, though, 8% a month. 8% a month is a lot, it period. Is. Like, I mean... <laughs> The only place I see that is like Forex, but that's super volatile. And you're supposed to get that, see, risk reward. Super volatile, you make money. But at the same time, I see way more people lose money than make money. Yeah. And so, yeah, you went up 25% and you went down 52. Like, that's terrible. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. And I'm real estate for the rest of my life, seriously. Yeah, and I mean physical real estate. Yeah. Even when people were talking about the metaverse, I was like, I don't oh, understand yeah, it, y'all. I just, you but know, I get it, but I don't get it. So I, I just stay away from I it. I am very much an allocator. I am pretty heavy on the real estate side just yes. because I understand it more and I want my tax. Because I'm still active in businesses. So I like my income is still pretty good. So I want to offset, you know, whatever. But the bigger issue, the bigger thing is like everybody should be looking at their portfolio as buckets of allocation. And so. It's not like a 
do this, not this. It's like an and. It's like a buffet. You can do all mm. things. Um, because even when I was an active investor, I was still passively investing with others. Um, and telling people they should always passively invest with others. Because, like, who wants to work? And anybody who thinks that they're getting, well, it's a pretty, my, my way of saying that you're not going to get that is pretty crass. But I'm basically like, you know, we don't sell drugs or <laughs> so, you know, there, there are no, like, we're, we're not flipping anything. It's yes. just more like, you know, get that kind of return. Yeah. I am a, you know, base hits kind of person. Like you keep hitting base hits, you're going to be good. And if you use the right mechanisms, like. Yeah. I talked to so many people, like I may post a deal where you're going to get, you're going to be all in at like. 80,000 but you're going to get $1,400 a month and people are like man that's not good enough and I'm like where y'all buying stuff at like I want to see because if you what are you supposed to be doing comparing this to Airbnb models like what are you getting from those kind because I know you're going to educate more people being passive but what are you seeing uh, when you talk to people about like investing what kind of deals they're buying what kind of returns are they getting well and so the funny thing is is most people that I know are like Oh, uh, you know, I'm down to my see, and this is the, the these is this is the money that I don't take. I'm down to my last hundred thousand. I need you to 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 turn it into a million dollars. I don't have those tricks. I don't know what those tricks are. Yeah, I don't know yeah. who's doing that. Like you can do that with a business, but you're gonna have to run that business, or you're gonna have to create a team to run that business. That's that's a business growth yes that's not an investor's growth an investor but i also am i'm super like on the side of telling people most of where your focus needs to be is on earning mm. and then taking those earnings and investing it passive yeah and then that's working and you're working and then it's like growing at the same time it's like a snowball like it should be yeah one thing you said was you you do, and I know we went down, started talking about the fund. I'm excited about that, but you own a mortgage company, mm -hmm. and you're an attorney, mm -hmm. and you do partnerships. The mortgage company can get me loans from seventy five to fifty million plus. How hard is it for me to qualify for a? Let's say I'm going out buying an apartment building for eight million dollar loan. Mm -hmm. Does it? Do they look at me as a person? Do they look at departments? Which is more important? When I come to you today, I got a great deal. It's, I mean, it's got a very good cap rate. It's got a good return. Got some upside. These minor repairs. Do you look at that apartment building first, or you look at me first? Okay, so everything in lending is three is is a three legged stool. If it's got two legs, you will be able to qualify. If you got three legs, you'll get good rates. So explain that to me. All right. So we look at the deal. Does the does the thing generate enough income to cover the debt? Okay. And it needs to be above twenty percent typically. I mean, we can do it below, but I wouldn't let. I don't. So let when you say it needs to be, because I want to make sure it needs to be. Say if my debt is five thousand dollars, it needs to be at least generating six thousand dollars. That's twenty percent of yes. Or let's say seventy five, say sixty five hundred dollars. Yes. So that's enough to cover the debt. Yes. Okay. So all right, that's the that's the the bare minimums, okay. right? Then you have financial strength of the sponsor. So financial strength is what's on your personal okay. balance sheet. What um what's your credit like? 
uh, that sort of thing. Right. You don't have to be this person. If you don't have it, you can always partner with somebody, especially if the loan is big enough, like $8 million, we can typically get you a non-recourse loan. Mm-hmm. So as long as you don't do any fraud, nothing is going to happen if you happen to go in What is non-recourse? Non-recourse means you're not a personal guarantor on the loan. So you're going to sign it because someone in the company has to sign yes. the documents. But if the, if the property happens to go into foreclosure, they will not go after you personally for the debt. Okay. Very important because, you know, but so the, the piece about that is we have some programs that don't have um, net worth requirements and some do. Okay. So if you want the best terms, you, it'll have net worth requirements, which means that your net worth has to be equal to or greater than the loan amount. Mm. You don't have to have that. I have lots of athletes that sign loans for people all the time so they're considered sponsors loan sponsors loan sponsors okay so your loan sponsor is going to get a a small amount of the equity in your deal Mm -hmm. and they'll come in and they'll sign this non-recourse debt that's how i actually bring a lot of athletes into deals because i want them to get low risk Mm -hmm. introduction into swimming you cannot swim from the sidelines you have to be involved but i don't want you to have to like be in a super risky position to do so. So loan sponsor, easy way. Um, So that's the financial side. So that's two legs. That's two legs. All right. The other leg is, um, Oh, now you made me forget. Hold on. Oh no. Credit. So wait, financial and then credit. Okay. Um, Credit isn't super important. We go as low as 500. Like, we really don't care about credit so much. Okay. It's what's on the report. So as long as you've not, like, short-sold something recently or uh, if you've been in a bankruptcy, what kind of bankruptcy, what was discharged, like, that, you kind of get nuanced in there. But, like, score, the best score available is 720. Anything above that, you get no bonus points. Gonna get Seriously? The, gonna get the same rate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Um the basically 720 is perfect and everything else is like, oh great, you got eight hundred, we don't care. So with um, the three legged method, what are we gonna call it? Yeah. If I got two legs, mm-hmm. we can get a So deal if done. you got oh no, I credit goes in financial, I'm wrong. It's experience. Okay. Three is experience. Experience, we're going to look at your resume, your track record, what you've been doing in the past. Obviously, this is another thing you can bring a partner on for. And so a lot of the time, the way I tell people to structure their company is you have a person who's strong financially, Mm -hmm. you have a person who's strong experience-wise, and then you have a great deal, you get a great rate. Now, if the person who's strong in experiences has bad credit or bad financials, they need to be below 20% owner in okay. that company. But how you break down the profit and how you break down the equity don't have to be equal, so it doesn't matter. So as long as the person that owns less than 20%, they don't have to go on the loan, or you don't look at them on the loan? We don't pull their financials. You pull their credit, though? No. So you don't do any. You just look at their experience, and it, that's it? Yeah. Wow. So... Yeah, anybody under 20%. So, it's an important nuance for the people who, like, everybody got a partner. You're like, why your partner don't be paying their bills? But, like, so that is the thing. Um, 
But so that so if you have great experience mm-hmm. and you have great financials, the deal can be underwater. Like, let's say you buy something that's not stable and you're trying to make it stable, but you have great experience and you got great and you got some, some capital, you know, yes, that that's a done deal. It's easy. How long does it take to close these deals on average right now? 45 days, 45 days. Praise will take a long time. Yeah. So most of that is like appraisal title, like everybody's sort of. Well, now they're not as busy, but they were busy. <laughs> yeah, they were. Um, but like anything that's like, and that's like on the commercial side. Okay. Anything residential is 14 days or so. 14 to 28 days, depending on, again, that appraisal is, is making it happen. Yeah. So let me let me make sure I'm hearing you correct. I can come to you and I got a great deal. You can help me get the debt, the loan, and the equity. And the equity. So really, the ideal person is a great operator that can find great deals. Yes. What about if I'm a great operator, but you got a deal that you really don't want? Do you have those sometimes? All the time. And so there's a lot of opportunity because, like, when you're a person who just talks and goes to a bunch of conferences and you speak at conferences, people give you a lot of stuff. But the hard part for me has been picking and choosing like, because a lot of the operators that I know are like either super geographically focused yes. or like something like that. So then, like, if it doesn't fall, I'm like, oh, I don't know anybody there. But that's like, oh, it's a smoking in deal. Virginia. Yeah. If somebody your operators in Florida, but yeah. the property's in Ohio. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, like, there are markets like Ohio that I would never invest in unless I had I knew the person and they lived there and they like because the issue with Ohio is there there is no like no professional management companies that it's 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 are. different. We got a couple now. Okay. We got a couple now. So we gonna we gonna That's get over there. That's a business that you should probably buy and like build. The the property management company. Yeah. In Ohio, like everybody has the exact same issue there. Yeah, it's tough. It's it has been tough, but we do have a couple now. A mm-hmm. few. I'm gonna say that. So, okay. wow, this is this is this is been great. <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, I can talk real estate all day, but the one of the most important things is us having enough capital. A lot of us don't get into, it, and I know we can wholesale, but we don't understand that next level. We don't yeah. understand how do you syndicate a deal. We don't understand how because you just made that easy. The three legged method, the experience, the deal, and then the the financials. If you got two of those, if I got the experience and the deal. You can help us find the financials. Yeah, the the right financial partner. If the deal if the deal is good enough, and you have the experience, the financials can be finessed. Okay, it's good enough. So that's what I'm saying. If you got two, you just can't only have one. And most people only have one. Like I'm like. But you got to partner with somebody that has another. You can one. partner with some. People don't be liking partners. I don't. I don't have all the answers. I just. I I just say hey. This is what you need. I told you, I give rules, and I want people to come back inside the box. People be coming back outside the box and, I, and be like, "Nothing you can do no, for No, there's nothing I can do for this. How because can, the deal isn't strong enough for your financials and your experience. How can we help you promote this? I know you say you got 50 cities. That's a lot. <laughs> I mean, I hopefully I can join you on a couple, right? Woo. But 50 cities... How else can we help promote this? What should we be doing? We still got a couple of days left in 2022, going into 2023. Um, what should we be doing? Dreaming bigger. Dreaming bigger. 
the you cannot so I had I have a mentor and he's a he's an older black guy and um he only does master plan development the deal has to be at least two billion dollars or so and I said what made you start doing such big projects like what in the world and he's like it's just more zeros. It's not more complicated. It's not harder. It's the, you're going to take the exact same amount of time. It's your belief in the ability to do something that makes it real. So then as soon as I started saying, I really prefer to do projects where the minimum equity raises a million dollars, that's all I did. And it's, it, it just became a thing. And then like now... Well, the first time I went to a conference for alternative assets, everybody I met said, oh, we don't do deals smaller than 80 million. So <laughs> and it was just so like calm. It's come out of their mouth. It's 80 yeah. million. So it made me say, oh, obviously I mentally haven't gotten to the place that that I think that's normal. But like it's possible and it's there. And the bigger that you can believe, the more that you'll reach out and seek because it, it is there. I. Black, one of those, wait a minute, is it Black Rock or Blackstone? Mm. Gonna, both of them are big. We're going to say one of them yeah. posted a huge loss and then raised $450 million the next day. Like, water. Because it's a conversation, it's an easy conversation though. See, what happens is, we're not talking about, like just during this past holiday, we weren't talking about raising a million dollars at the table. We was talking about with new shoes or boots didn't fit. Yeah. Right. But so I think that 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 comes down to like environment. Okay. So there's definitely a bigger difference now, especially because most of the stuff I talk about wasn't available until 2012. Mm. So the securities laws were the exact same from 1933 until 2012. What happened in 2012? The Jobs Act came out and created um, Regulation D, which... 506C, which allows for general solicitation. So you can get on a podcast and say, hey, I'm raising capital for this, you know, or, and it expanded crowdfunding, it expanded Regulation A um, raises. And so I think that that access to capital is becoming more of a conversation, but it's only a conversation in certain rooms. So a part of it is like, going where people are having those conversations and like taking it out. And this is why I'm super like, I have to get in front of more people and I have to tell them. But the other side of that is like, we need to also learn to respect each other laterally. So like all, everybody I know, if they had a chance, they would be like, Oh, I met Robert Smith and I want to invest with him. Yes. Right. You don't know that man. That man has not been like invite you to his house. <laughs> But when your friend, who you know is equally capable, is yeah. raising capital, you're like, mm, well, good luck. Like, I wish you well. I'm like, post you on social media or something. But, like, I'm not giving you no money. My grandfather's entire business, and you can look him up on Sunbiz, which is where Florida businesses are. are mm -hmm. Every company he has has the same three people because him and his friends is like, we're going to put this money together and we're going to make it work. Every single company, every single time. Yeah. And that's belief laterally. Like, I know you, I trust you, I know you're capable of executing it, and like, let's do it together. Do it. Um, and there's a lot of value in that, but like, we have to look at it and see it that way. Um, 
I went to, so I bought Berkshire Hathaway stocks. I don't like public stock, by okay. the way, because it's too emotional. It's just based on whoever how people says, feel. Well, whoever at the top. Yeah, but I bought it because I watched a documentary about Warren Buffett, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, the Berkshire Hathaway um, annual meeting looks like so much fun. I, I, so I bought the stock just so I could go. And so I went in 2019, and when I tell you it was amazing, Amazing is an understatement, like just all the events and what was going on. All the portfolio companies are like doing their little trade show thing. Amazing. But the one thing that I got out of it was every person I met said, oh, I met him in 1975. I got the mm. stock for $100. Oh, I was Susie's roommate in college in the 70s, and I got the stock for this. Like, so it's like belief laterally, and now those people are all millionaires because they believed in him. They believed when it wasn't nothing to talk about, and he even says, and this is why I'm 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 super passionate in general about people getting in the game, but the access to capital piece that you're talking about, emerging managers of capital are always hungrier than the already been in the game wealthy people. And so Warren Buffett is like, everybody thinks that like, I'm like crushing it now. My best returning fund was the first one. And it was only a hundred thousand dollars that I raised. Wow. Yeah. But, we, but again, it's, we're not talking about it. So on this journey, we're with you on that one. Yeah. So you got to let us know. I want you to tell us what can we do besides dream big. I need some concrete. Right. One thing that you want us to do so that we begin to get more access to capital and understand that capital. Um, okay. So I'm going to make a promise to y'all. Okay. And then, so my promise is I'm going to make more consistent content to mm. give you guys the information that's required to make you feel comfortable and confident doing it. And so just follow me on LinkedIn specifically because I'm like the most active on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm going to get better at Instagram, <laughs> but I'm La La Hurdles too on Instagram. I'm Idolette on Twitter and obviously LaVon Idolette on LinkedIn. And I am a very small piece of a huge industry that has trillions of dollars in it and very few people of color and very few women. And it's definitely time to be like, Oh, I heard of, I heard people will be like, Oh yeah, I heard of such and such fund or I heard of, yes. you know, uh, such and such capital. I don't know what they do. I don't know what it means. And so I'm going to like break all of that down. It's, over the next few months. Next few months. Yeah. We got some work to do. Got some work to I'm do. I'm going to hold you to it. Accountability. Everybody needs it. One question before we get out of here. What does delayed gratification mean to you? Whew, um, so delayed gratification means foregoing things that could be interesting for the thing that you should be doing. And so that's why I don't hustle. I ain't got no side hustles. I got a couple businesses that I actually don't, I don't actually work inside of any of the businesses. I'm more, I am functioning in the parent company and just making sure the teams are good. 
as a person who was a professional athlete, it's all about delayed gratification. <laughs> Every day you just come and I call I call them banks, bankable days. Did you make a deposit or did you take something away? Mm. If you don't show up 100%, you're taking something away. So you need to make deposits so you can get to the vision. But the thing that I think that most people confuse is that, like, hard work. Doing things doesn't necessarily mean that you're going in the right direction or doing the right thing. So that's why 10,000 hours of activity may not necessarily make you an expert. You have to be pretty intentional about making sure you're getting better every day. Thank you. Listen, thank you for being on. I'm really grateful that we got a chance to have this conversation. We got a lot more conversation coming out of this one. So, again, thank yes. you thank for being you for on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Listen, y'all, thank y'all for watching another episode of the Delayed Gratification Podcast. You know, I love y'all. I'll see y'all on the next episode.